0: If you don't mind, well, Sheik actually went back a ways in regards to praising Jesus. And so I thought today what we would do is we go ahead and go back a ways and see Jesus in the Bible, in the Word. So turn in your Bibles, if you don't mind, to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5, the sixth book of the Bible. I don't want you to start reading it just yet because I want to explain some things that are going on here in this passage before we, start, before we start to talk about it. Over the last few weeks for the children of Israel, a lot of things have been going on as we read this passage. There's been a new commander over their armies Inaugurated according to the Bible, we would call it commissioned, a guy named Joshua. Moses has actually been told by the Lord, you're going to go up there on the mountain. You're going to see into the land that you're going to, that these people are going to possess. But I want you to go up there and die (laughs) just like that. That's what the Lord said to him. Go up there and die. Kind of strange. So he goes up there and he dies and the people mourn him for 30 days. I want you to understand this. The people, the children of Israel have been in the wilderness for for 40 years now and the time is right for them to move into the land that God promised Abraham about 550 years earlier in a covenant. This is the time. There's 2 million people that are camped on the plains out there east of the Jordan River. So then the word goes out. Matter of fact, Joshua commands the people. He says, all right, everybody, go out. You tell the tribes, it's time to move. We're going to move now. So the word goes through the camp. Two million people, get up. We're getting ready to move. We're going to go take the land that the Lord promises. And then the Lord drives up the Jordan And he instructs Joshua and the priest to station the Ark of the Covenant down in the base of the Jordan River. And these two million people pass by the Ark of the Covenant up onto the plains of Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho is a fortress city located on the west side of the Jordan River. This is a massive city. Some scholars say that the walls are 300 feet thick. 60 feet high. And it commands all of the territory around it. And so the people of Israel, they march onto the plains of Jericho on the now the west side of the Jordan River. They're going to take the land. Okay? They're going to take the land. But then the Lord begins to, to, to tell Joshua some really strange things. He says, you know what? Before we begin to take the land, I want all the men circumcised. Whoa. Lord, (laughs) we got our army here, and the army's made up of men, and you want them circumcised. Okay, we'll do it. Then he says, I want you guys to take Passover. See, the, the children of Israel had not taken Passover since... They camped at the base of Mount Sinai. So they go into a place called Gilgal. Gilgal means the rolling away. Now this is significant. I want you to hear this. Gilgal means rolling away. They camp there about three miles from, from Jericho. Circumcision, Passover. And then I think Joshua goes up And he's, he's in the command of, of the armies of the children of Israel. And he goes up and he's looking at this massive city. And I think he's thinking to himself, Lord, what are you, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And as he's looking at the city, We'll read in Joshua chapter 12. We'll begin right there. Then the manna ceased on that day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Now keep in mind right now that this is the last passage that we see manna provided by the lord it's important I want you will hold on to that and it came to pass when joshua was by jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand and joshua went to him and said are you for us or for our adversaries in other words joshua looks up and he sees this man with a sword and he says yo friend or foe Joshua is a mighty man of war. I mean, the fact that he would immediately challenge this man that has a raised sword tells you how brave he was. But he was sitting there concerned about Jericho. And this man that he encounters gives him kind of a weird answer. And he says, No, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, there's some things that are going on here that we have to understand. The fact that that Joshua is out there and he's considering what he's going to do with this fortress, Jericho. I mean, this is an army that he has command of that is not equipped. siege warfare they're not ready for this so he's up there and he's considering it and he says "I, I, i gotta think he's praying i gotta think he's praying and then he comes and has this encounter with a being a man with a sword drawn who allows himself to be worshiped well who is that it's jesus that's right In theology, we would call that a theophany. In other words, a manifest appearance, a bodily appearance of God. In this case, it's more properly called a Christophany. Jesus is there. Jesus is there with the children of Israel. Imagine that. This is significant for us. If we acknowledge that Jesus is there with the children of Israel then... Then we got to acknowledge a few things about Jesus. Number one, Jesus is a warrior. He's a warrior. Okay, not only is he a warrior, but he is an engaged soldier. He has his sword drawn. He's ready to do battle. He's not a guy that's back there. He's not a general back on the, you know, in, in, in behind the lines. He's ready to do battle. To lead his people. Okay? He's also acknowledging himself as the supreme commander. In other words, well, in the Hebrew, the word that he says, I am the commander of the armies of the Lord, that Hebrew word is seir, which means I am the Lord of lords. He's the ultimate commander. Okay? Okay? And as we see, as we read through the next few chapters of Joshua, one of the things that we notice is that the children of Israel, they go into the land, and I mean they are victorious because Jesus is victorious. This entire book is all about the victory of Jesus. This word is all about the battle plan of the Lord and Jesus being victorious. Matter of fact... I'm going to encourage you this week, when you go home, I want you to read the first 11 chapters of Joshua. It's all about victory. And a lot of the things that we're going to talk about this morning are all about the victory of Jesus and the manifestation of that victory through the children of Israel. But if we go back and we accept that, that Joshua has had a Christophany, in other words, he has seen Jesus, and this is a key point, I want you to hear this. The key point is this. The Lord, in His wisdom, I believe, is painting a picture for us. You know, the Lord likes to foreshadow things. He likes to show us things that will happen, not only to us, but that will happen later in His Word. And this is exactly what He's showing us in this passage from Joshua. See, I think that that this has application for us today. If Jesus is the commander and the people of, the, of Israel are going to pass into their possession with Jesus in command, it's a lot like how we do it today. We pass into the promise that Jesus has for us through Jesus, accepting Jesus as our commander. And the cool thing about it is that when we say yes to Jesus, we recognize that, okay, you're in command But even better than that, you, Jesus, are victorious. Amen? Okay. So praise God that that God has given us a commander that is victorious. Let me put it this way. Everywhere that Jesus looks right now, everything that he observes is victory. Victory. He can't see defeat. You understand that? From his vantage point, as he looks around, he sees victory. He sees victory. Praise God. Because we are, because we are in Christ and because Christ is in us, because we belong to Jesus, we are victorious. Are you getting that? We're victorious because of that. I thought it was pretty important. Okay, let's look at the case of Joshua and the children of Israel as we consider that Jesus is victorious and and on our behalf, he's victorious as well. The children of Israel still have to take action to possess the land. You know, the Lord very easily could have gone into the land that was promised to Abraham. And with his mighty hand, he could have crushed the enemies that were there, the Amorites and the Canaanites and all of the ites. He could have crushed them, but he didn't. Matter of fact, he sent the children of Israel up into battle. And I think that the reason he does that he did that and He does it for us is because he wants, to, uh, he wants us to understand the value of the promise that He has made to us. The value of the land that He has given to us. In order for us to take the land, we must recognize that we're moving from a place... Let's say that before you... Before you said yes to Jesus, you know, you might have been in a place where you were just surviving. And that's why just before we encounter Jesus in Joshua 5 here, we see the manna taken away. I mean, I don't know what manna was like, but I got to think that it was probably pretty boring. Day after day after day, manna again. What are we having for breakfast, babe? Manna. What are we having for lunch? Manna. Manna. What are we having for supper? Manna. Okay. So what we see is that the manna is taken away and God says, now you are going into the land that I have promised you and you're going to live off the abundance of the land. It's very similar to what we experience today. We move from a place of just surviving to a place where we go in to live with the abundance that God intends for us through Jesus. Jesus. Amen? Amen. But you know, here's the issue. Here's the issue. And I want to make five points here. There's an enemy that stands in opposition to us. And he doesn't want us to take the possession of what God has promised us. Okay? Okay? So, because he stands in opposition to us, there are five points that I want to make. Number one, there are battles for us to fight. Number two, there is fear to overcome. Number three, we've got to walk in obedience to the Lord. Number four, we've got to recognize that we have an enemy and he's a wily enemy. We don't give him any respect, just recognize that he's a liar. And finally, we've got to walk in faith and be fully confident, I'm talking about fully confident, that Jesus is always victorious. Amen. So let's take these one by one, one by one. There's battles to be fought. The Lord, through Moses, had prepared the children of Israel uh, that they would fight for the land that was promised to them. In a similar manner, Jesus tells us in John 16, These things I have said to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have have overcome the world. If we paraphrase, and I've actually looked at the Greek, when you look at this passage in John 16, um, if you paraphrase it or you read it, Literally, we could say that Jesus is telling us, in this world, you're gonna be, you're gonna have opposition. There will be opposition to you. But take heart because I am victorious. I am victorious. So when, when we recognize that there are battles that we have to fight, the thing that we want to always remember, just like we were singing today, all morning, is that Jesus is with us. And Jesus, like I said earlier, can only see one thing. He can only see what? Victory. Victory. So we know that there's opposition. We know that there's battles. And we know that Jesus gives us victory in those battles. Number two, there's fear to overcome. This is a big issue. I want to tell you how Jesus handled this, at least as we look at it from the perspective of the book of Joshua. It's amazing to me. Matter of fact, I'm going to to read Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. So it was when all the kings of the Amorites, who were on the west side of the Jordan, and all the kings of the Canaanites, who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until they had crossed over, that their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. The kings that are in the land observe the children of Israel and their hearts melted when the children go into the land matter of fact and I want you to catch this this will be part of your homework today but back in, in, in Joshua 2 before the children cross over the Jordan Joshua sends two spies up to Jericho and Rahab helps them out Rahab hides them and they're having a conversation with Rahab and this is something that's amazing to me Rahab says, Man, we know who you guys are. We know who you are. Matter of fact, we've been knowing who you are since you guys crossed the Red Sea. We've been knowing who you are since you defeated the Amorite kings out on the plains when they got in your way. You destroyed them utterly. So, for 38 years at least, the kings that are in the promised land have been talking about the children of Israel. And they've been worried about it. They've been worried about it. When the children crossed over, they were like, uh-oh, here they come. So what What Jesus is showing us here is that we don't have anything to fear. We have to recognize that we have victorious Jesus. The enemy is the one that has to be fearful here. You understand that? As a matter of fact, there's three passages, many more... In the New Testament, James chapter 2 and verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The demons tremble before the Lord God Almighty. In Mark chapter 1, we see a man with an unclean spirit. And Jesus comes up to cast out the unclean spirit. And the spirit says, Leave us alone. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Do you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I mean, I'm talking about people or demons are quaking. Demons are quaking. When Jesus goes across the sea to Gadarenes and he encounters the the demoniac that's been cast out in the cemetery and chained up, the first thing that the... and I gotta think, you know, as he crosses this, the sea, it's really strange. I ought to read it one of these days, but he crosses the sea, and I gotta think that that demoniac is standing up there in his chains, looking as the boat is moving across the sea. And the demoniac says, or the demon in the, in the man says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Brothers and sisters, when we think about fear, we need to recognize how much authority we have in the name of Jesus. We need to walk in that authority. We need to spread fear, but not spread fear among the people that Jesus loves, but we spread fear among the enemy. Amen? Amen. We've got to be obedient to the Lord. Another point. The children of Israel go up, and we see them march around Jericho six days, and then on the seventh day they march around seven times. They shout, and the walls of Jericho fall down, and Jericho is immediately and utterly destroyed. Utterly destroyed. This stronghold city is completely destroyed very quickly just like that as the shout went up. And one of the things that happened before they took the stronghold city they had been instructed not only by by the, the Lord through Moses but also the Lord through Joshua as well. The children of Israel had said been instructed. Listen, when you take out Jericho, everything is destroyed. Don't keep anything. I want everything wiped out. No spoils, no silver, no gold. But there was a man among the children of Israel, a man named Achan. And he decided that he probably could just keep a little bit. A little bit. So he buried some of the spoils, some silver and gold and a garment in his tent. A little bit later, after Jericho falls, the children of Israel are camped at Gilgal. Gilgal. And Joshua says, You know, go up there to Ai, small village. A little bit further north. It's a small village. Don't worry about it. Take 3,000 men. Go up there. Spy it out. Wipe them out if, if you want to. You know, not a big deal. Don't trouble me. So, the men go up, the men of Israel, and they get defeated. Well, this is not how this is supposed to go. We're supposed to be victorious. Until the Lord reveals to Joshua when the men come back, there's 36 of the children of Israel that are killed in that battle. And they come back and they said, <laughs> that was rough. Joshua goes before the Lord and says, Lord, what's up? What's going on here? And the Lord reveals to Joshua that that, that somebody in the camp has kept some spoils from Jericho. And so they go through the tribes of Israel, tribe by tribe, family by family. I ask them, did you keep anything? They finally come to this man, Achan. And he said, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. And so, of course, they have to reconsecrate themselves. Poor old Achan and his entire family are pretty well stoned to death. But that's that's it. See... Jesus, well, God, had told the children of Israel back in Leviticus four times through Moses. says, I want you to be holy like I'm holy. I want you to be set apart for me. Set apart for me. And Achan had violated that covenant. And so they were defeated. Now, they reconsecrated themselves, got back on track and began to be victorious again. But the thing that I want to say here is that as we take the land, as we take and possess the land that is promised to each and every one of us, we need to recognize that we are set apart. We can't keep just a little bit of sin here and there in order for us to be victorious. We need to be set apart. As a matter of fact, the word ecclesia, the church, means to be called out, and we are called out. Now, we continue on looking at the the children of Israel. and In Joshua chapter 9, there's something that's kind of strange that happens, a little bit strange. The Lord has told the children to move into the land and wipe everybody out. But the children of Israel encounter this, this group of people and they come to, they come to the elders and, and Joshua and, and they're in tatters and they're, 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 their food is moldy and, and, and they just look like a mess. And so the children of Israel look at them and say, where'd you guys, who are you? And they say, hey, we don't even belong here. We're just passing through. It was a tribe called the Gibeonites, a people called the Gibeonites. They dwelt in the land, but they had heard what was going on. I mean, here's another example of how fearful people or the enemy should be of us. They heard what was going on and they said, Man, Israel is wiping everybody out. Let's see if we can figure something out here. So they make themselves out to be visitors strangers, foreigners. And before the elders and Joshua and the leaders of of Israel pray and consult with the Lord, they make a covenant with the Gibeonites. And they say, okay, since you're not of this land, you can remain. We're not going to wipe you out. And when God finds out about this, He says, well, you guys, you didn't consult with me, but you made a covenant all right, you're going to keep the covenant, but this is not what I told you to do. So we need to be aware that that the enemy will come in a disguise. And he'll try to remain. He'll try to remain in the place that we're supposed to possess. So what we need to do is we need to understand that because Jesus is with us, we have the ultimate in what, what, in warfare is known as identification—friend or foe. We can pray and we can say, "Okay, God, is this something that I, I need to? Is this something that I need to deal with? Maybe it's something a modest thing, but it's something that the Lord really wants you to get rid of. It's something that He wants you to remove. It's something that He wants you to des- destroy. It's something that He wants to take out of the land of promise for you." So we need to be praying about those things. We pray for guidance and discernment. We pray for direction. We've got to recognize that the enemy is wily. Again, he's, we give him no credit. But he wants, to, he, wants to, he wants to stay where we need to go. The final point. We must walk in faith and confidence that Jesus is victorious. In Joshua 10 and Joshua 11, we see in both chapters, we see the kings as they recognize that the children of Israel are wiping everybody out. I mean, these are, this is, the God of Israel is powerful. And so what they do, these kings that are in the land, they begin to pardon me, they begin to, to, to make alliances with each other. They come together and they say, "Hey, you know, first it's the five kings of the Amorites. Hey, we've got to get together here. Things are going on. Do you see everything, all the death and destruction that's coming here?" So they make alliances, And it's just like that with our walk. As we possess the promises that the Lord has for us. What will happen from time to time is that the enemy will gather up his forces. And it, as we look at it, it looks overwhelming to us. It looks overwhelming to us. I mean, the enemy will be in appearance so strong that you say, there's nothing I can do here. There's nothing I can do here. And this is really where we have to remember that because we have a victorious Jesus, we don't have to do anything other than have faith and walk in the full knowledge that Jesus is in charge of this victory as well. Now, I don't know what, where you're at in regards to some of these things that we talked about but you may you may still be in a place where you're facing a jericho a stronghold that where you're just ready to enter into the land you may you may be in a place where you haven't maybe been completely obedient maybe there's just a little bit of sin in the camp i don't know you may be in that place where you've had victory after victory after victory, and now you look out on the horizon, and you see the enemy begin to swell up, at least in your appearance, as you, as you look at him, begin to gather his forces, marshal his forces, and look overwhelming to you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Jesus is victorious. Jesus is victorious. Amen? Praise God for that. I want to I close here with just a couple of thoughts. Sometimes when we're in a battle, when we're in spiritual warfare, we think, you know, God, have you abandoned me? Well, I sure do feel alone. I feel alone. But you've got to remember one thing. It's actually our privilege. It's our privilege, brothers and sisters, to serve under the direction of a victorious Jesus. It's our privilege to be in the place that God has us to be right now. I want to talk to you about a man named Colonel Joshua Chamberlain. Colonel Joshua Chamberlain was a Civil War Union Army colonel. He was in charge of the 20th Maine Infantry. And Robert E. Lee was sweeping up out of the south. These were desperate times for the Union. Robert E. Lee's plan was for the Confederate forces to sweep up out of Virginia And to capture either Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, or maybe even continue on to Philadelphia and capture it as well. And if they could do that, they thought that they could bring the Norse heart to prosecute the war to an end. Because the war was unpopular. And so the two armies began to kind of gather in a place called Gettysburg. And Gettysburg, which was fought over three the first three days of July, was the bloodiest battle in the history of the United States. This man, Colonel Joshua Chamberlain, arrived with his 20th Maine infantry on the second day of the battle. And they were actually behind the lines and taking a rest. And about that time, the Confederates started to march against the southern flank the the, the left flank of the uh, of the union positions and this was a decisive battle i mean this was this was a big deal and so colonel chamberlain's 20th Infa- main infantry was called up and they took a position up on little round top on the south end of the flank and as they took up their position and the Confederates started to come against them. He told his men, he said, Men, here's the deal. Not once in a century are men permitted to bear such responsibilities for freedom and justice, for God and humanity, as are now placed upon us. In other words, what Colonel Chamberlain was saying to his men was, This is a privilege for us to be right here. It's ugly. It's ugly. But this is a privilege. We are here for a purpose. And so the Confederates stormed Little Roundtop, and Colonel Chamberlain issued the order of fixed bayonets because they were out of ammunition and ran down off of that mountain and charged in the Confederates and held the south, south flank of the Union position and really probably saved the battle for the North, maybe even saved the war for the North. The entire war, there were 51,000 casualties at the Battle of Gettysburg alone. But this was an important position that Colonel Chamberlain and his men recognized. They felt like it was a privilege for them to be there. So it is for you. So it is for you. It's a privilege for you to be exactly where the Lord has you. If you're fighting a battle right now, I want to encourage you. You're there because the Lord wants you to be there. He has ground for you to take. Michael, if you could go ahead and throw up that final passage. These are, these are the final words that Moses spoke before he goes up on Mount Nebo to die. Happy are you, O Israel. Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. Moses is speaking these words as he leaves to go up on the mountain. And he knows that the people that he's talking to are getting ready to go into battle. They're getting ready to go take possession of the land. And he says, you're happy. You're happy, people. Because... Who is like you? You guys are saved by the Lord. He's your shield. He's your sword. Your enemies are going to submit to you. I'm going to speak that over each and every one of you here. Happy are you, people, because who are like you? A people saved by Jesus. Jesus is your shield. Jesus is your sword. Jesus is your majesty. Your enemies shall, shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Jacob, you can come up here. Now... I'm going to close by just saying this. There's a lot more that I could preach about in regards to the victories of the of, of the children of Israel. But I want I want to encourage you to, as I said earlier, go back and look through the first eleven chapters of Joshua. And as you consider those those things that the Lord did for the children of Israel as a as they were victorious from place to place to place, as they, as they took the land, I want you to put yourself in that place. And if you're here today and you're in a place where you see something that needs to be dealt with in regards to the possession of your land, the possession of your promise, then I just ask for you to To pray about that. Jesus will give you direction. He is the commander of the armies of the Lord. And if you're here today and and I've been talking to you and I've been talking to you about Jesus and, and you don't even understand who this Jesus is, then after the service, I'd like to talk to you or you can... There are a lot of ministers of the gospel in this place today. You can certainly get with one of those and we'll talk to you about Jesus and what He means to you and what He wants to do for you. We'll leave you with one thing. <clears throat> I'm going to teach you a new word today just before we leave. It's a word in Hebrew and it's called renah. Everybody say it. Renah. 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 You look at Psalms 30, verses 4 and 5. It says, Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, Rena, Renah, Renah is an interesting word. Rana means to shout to God with joy. In other words, but Rana, victory, triumph comes in the morning. Everybody say it. Rana! Rana. I want to encourage you to get your mind around that. You have a battle cry as you as you listen to Jesus to take the land. So I'm just going to pray over you and then I'm going to dismiss you and I'm going to thank you for, for listening to me this morning. Join me as we pray. Lord, I just thank you for this people. Lord, I thank you, Father God, that you provided them with a victorious Jesus. I thank you, Father God, that, that they turn their battles and their burdens over to the supreme commander I thank you Father God that they recognize the wiles of the enemy that want to stay in place in the land that you have promised this people Father I thank you Father God that as they leave this place they will walk in victory they will rise up and they will shout "Rena!" triumph when the time comes bless them mightily Lord in Jesus name Amen Amen you're dismissed.
1: the blood of the i <imitation>